0: You're listening to Zixin Liu's The Three-Body Problem. Part 3. Sunset for Humanity. 21. Rebels of Earth. There were many more attendees this time than at the last three-body Meetup. They met at the employee cafeteria of a chemical plant... The factory had already been moved elsewhere, and the interior of the building, which was about to be demolished, was worn out but spacious. About 300 people were gathered here, and Wang Miao noticed many familiar faces celebrities and elites of various fields, famous scientists, writers, politicians, and so on. The first thing to attract Wang's attention was the strange device at the center of the cafeteria three silver spheres, each slightly smaller than a bowling ball, hovered and swirled over a metal base. Wong guessed the device was probably based on magnetic levitation. The orbits of the three spheres were completely random, a real-life version of the three-body problem. The others didn't pay much attention to the artistic portrayal of the three-body problem. Instead, They focused on Pan Han, who was standing on top of a broken table in the middle of the cafeteria. Did you murder Comrade Shen Yufay? A man asked. Yes, Pan said, perfectly calm. It's because the Adventists have traitors like her in our midst that the organization faces the crisis it does today. Who gave you the right to kill? I did it out of a sense of duty to the organization. Duty? I think you've always had malice in your heart. What do you mean by that? What has the environment branch done under your leadership? Your charge is to exploit and create environmental problems to make the population loathe science and modern industry. But in reality... You've only used our lord's technology and predictions to gain riches and fame for yourself. Do you think I became famous for myself? To my eyes, the entire human race is a pile of garbage. Why would I care what they think? But if I'm not famous, how do I direct and channel their thinking? You always pick the easy tasks. What you've done could have been better accomplished by regular environmentalists. They're more sincere and passionate than you, and with just a little guidance, we could easily take advantage of their actions. Your environment branch should be creating environmental disasters and then exploiting them. For example, disseminating poison in reservoirs, leaking toxic waste from chemical plants. Have you done any of those? No, not a single one. We had devised numerous programs and plans, but the commander vetoed them all. Anyway, such acts would have been stupid, at least until recently. The biology and medicine branch once created a catastrophe from the overuse of antibiotics, but that was soon detected, and the rash actions of the European detachment almost drew attention to us. Talk about drawing attention to us. You just murdered someone. Listen to me, comrades. Sooner or later, it would have been unavoidable. You must already know that the governments of the world are preparing for war. In Europe and North America, they're already cracking down on the organization. Once the crackdown begins here, the Redemptionists will no doubt side with the government. So our first priority is to purge the Redemptionists from the organization. That is not within your authority. Of course, the commander must decide. But, comrades, I can tell you right now that the commander is an Adventist. Now you're just making things up. Everyone knows the scope of the commander's power. If the commander really is an Adventist, then the redemptionists would have been purged long ago. Maybe the commander knows something we don't. Perhaps that's what the meeting today is about. After this, the crowd's attention turned away from Ponhan to the crisis before them a famous scientist who had won the Turing Award jumped onto the table and began to speak. The time for talk is over. Comrades, what should be our next step? Start a global rebellion. Then we're asking to be killed. Long live the spirit of Trisolaris. We shall persevere like the stubborn grass that resprouts after every wildfire. A rebellion will finally reveal our existence to the world. As long as we have an appropriate plan of action, I'm sure many people will support us. This last remark came from Pan Han, and many applauded. Someone yelled, the commander's here. The crowd parted to form a path. Wong looked up and felt dizzy. The world turned white and black in his eyes, and the only spot of color was the person who had just appeared. Surrounded by a group of young bodyguards, the commander-in-chief of the Earth Trisolaris Rebels, Ya Winsia, walked steadily into the crowd. Ya stood in the middle of the space the crowd cleared for, raised a bony fist, and with a resolve and strength that Wong could not believe she possessed, said, Eliminate human tyranny! The crowd responded in a way that had clearly been rehearsed countless times. The world belongs to Trisolaris. Hello, comrades, Yao said. Her voice returned to the gentleness that Wong knew. It was only now that he could be sure that it was really her. I haven't been well lately, and haven't spent much time with all of you. But now the situation is urgent, and I know everyone is under a great deal of pressure. So I've come to see you. Commander, take care of yourself, someone in the crowd said. Wong could hear the heartfelt concern. Ya said, Before we move on to more important matters, let's take care of one small detail. Pan Han! She kept her eyes on the crowd even as she called his name. Here, Commander, Pan emerged from the crowd. Earlier, he had tried to lose himself in the throng. He appeared calm, but the terror in his heart was obvious. The commander had not called him comrade, a bad sign. You committed a severe violation of the organization's rules. Yaa yeah spoke without looking at Pawn. Her voice remained kind, as though talking to a child who had been naughty. Commander! The organization is facing a crisis of survival. If we don't take decisive measures and cleanse the traitors and enemies within, we will lose everything. Yeah, looked up at Pawn, her eyes affectionate. But his breath stopped for a few seconds. The ultimate goal and ideal of the ETO is to lose everything everything that now belongs to the human race, including us. Then you must be an Adventist. Commander, please openly declare this to be true, because it's very important. Am I right, comrades? Very important! He shouted and waved an arm as he looked around. But the crowd remained mute, This request is not yours to make. You have seriously violated our code of conduct. If you want to make an appeal, now is the time. Otherwise, you must bear the responsibility. Ya spoke slowly, enunciating every word, as though afraid the child she was teaching had trouble understanding. I went intending to eliminate Wei Cheng, that math prodigy. The decision was made by Comrade Evans and ratified by the committee unanimously. If he really succeeds in creating a mathematical model of the three-body problem that gives a complete solution, our lord will not come, and the great enterprise of Trisolaris on Earth will be ruined. I only shot at Shen Yufay since she shot at me first. I was acting in self-defense. Yeah, nodded. Let us believe you. This is, after all, not the most important issue. I hope we can continue to trust you. Now, please repeat the request you made to me just now. Pawn was stunned for a second. That she had moved on didn't seem to relax him. I ask that you openly declare yourself to be an Adventist, After all, the action plan of the Adventists is also your ideal. Then repeat the plan of action. A human society can no longer rely on its own power to solve its problems. It can also no longer rely on its own power to restrain its madness. Therefore, we ask our Lord to come to this world and with its power forcefully watch over us and transform us so as to create a brand new, perfect human civilization. Are the Adventists loyal believers in this plan? Of course. Commander, please do not believe false rumors. It's not a false rumor, a man shouted. He made his way to the front. I'm Raphael from Israel. Three years ago, my 14-year-old son died in an accident. I had his kidney donated to a Palestinian girl suffering kidney failure as an expression of my hope that the two peoples could live together in peace. For this ideal, I was willing to give my life. Many, many Israelis and Palestinians sincerely strove toward the same goal by my side. But all this was useless. Our home remain trapped in the quagmire of cycles of vengeance. Eventually I lost hope in the human race and joined the ETO. Desperation turned me from a pacifist into an extremist. Also, probably because I donated so much money to the organization, I became a core member of the Adventists. Let me tell you now, the Adventists have their own secret agenda." And it is this. The human race is an evil species. Human civilization has committed unforgivable crimes against the earth and must be punished. The ultimate goal of the Adventists is to ask our Lord to carry out this divine punishment, the destruction of all humankind. The real program of the Adventists is already an open secret, someone shouted. But what you don't know is that this was not a program they evolved into. It was the goal set out at the very beginning. It's been the lifelong dream of Mike Evans, the mastermind behind the Adventists. He lied to the organization and fooled everyone, including the commander. Evans has been working toward this goal from the very start. He turned the Adventists into a kingdom of terror, populated by extreme environmentalists and madmen who hated the human race. I didn't know Evans' real thoughts until much later, yeah, said. Still, I tried to patch over the differences to allow the E.T.O. to remain whole. But some of the other acts committed by Adventists lately have made the effort impossible. Pawn said, Commander, the Adventists are the core of ETO. Without us, there is no Earth Trisolaris movement. But this is no excuse for you to monopolize all communications between our Lord and the organization. We built the second Red Coast base. Of course we should operate it the Adventists took advantage of this and committed an unforgivable betrayal of the organization. You intercepted the messages from our lord to the organization and passed on only a small portion of them, even those you distorted. Also, through the second Red Coast base, you sent a large amount of information to our lord without the organization's approval. Silence descended over the meeting like a monstrous thing. Wong's scalp began to tingle. Pan did not answer. His expression became cold, as if to say, finally, it has happened. There is much evidence of the Adventist's betrayal. Comrade Shen Yufei was one of the witnesses, Though she belonged to the core group of Adventists, in her heart she remained a resolute redemptionist. You only discovered this recently, and she already knew too much. When Evan sent you, he wanted you to kill two people, not one. Pawn looked around, apparently reassessing the situation. His gesture didn't go unnoticed by Yeh. You can see that most people attending this meeting are comrades from the Redemptionist faction. I trust that the few Adventists who are here will stand on the side of the organization. But men like Evans and you can no longer be saved. To protect the program and ideals of the ETO, we must completely solve the problem of the Adventists. Silence returned. A few moments later, one of the bodyguards near Ye, a young woman, smiled. She walked toward Pan Han casually. Pan's face changed. He stuck a hand inside the lapel of his jacket, but the young woman dashed quicker than the eye could follow. Before anyone could react, she wrapped one of her slender arms around Pan's neck placed her other hand on top of his head, and by applying her unexpected strength at just the right angle, she twisted Pon's head one hundred and eighty degrees with practiced ease. The cracks from his cervical vertebrae breaking stood out against the complete silence. The young woman's hands immediately let go, as though Pon's head was too hot. Pon fell to the ground, and the gun that had killed Shen Yu Fei slid under the table. His body still spasmed, and his eyes remained open, his tongue sticking out, but his head no longer moved as though it were never a part of the rest of his body. Several men came and dragged him away, the blood oozing from his mouth, leaving a long trail. Ah, Xiao Wong, you're here too. How have you been? Yaa's gaze fell on Wong Miao. She smiled kindly at him and nodded. Then she turned to the others. This is Professor Wong, a member of the Chinese Academy of Sciences, and my friend. He researches nanomaterials. This is the first technology our lord wishes to extinguish from the earth. No one looked at Wong, and Wong had no strength to express himself in any way. He had to pull at the sleeve of the man next to him so that he wouldn't fall. But the man lightly brushed his hand away. Xiao Wang, why don't I continue to tell you the story of Red Coast from the last time? All the comrades here can listen to. This is not a waste of time. In this extraordinary moment, it is a fine time to review the history of our organization. Red Coast? You weren't done? Wong asked foolishly. Ya ass- slowly approached the three body model, seemingly absorbed by the swirling silver spheres. Through the broken window, the setting sun's light fell on the model, and the flying spheres intermittently reflected the light onto the rebel commander, like sparks from a bonfire. No. I've only just started, Ya yeah, said softly. 22, Red Coast 5. Since she had entered Red Coast base, yao Winsia had never thought of leaving. After she learned the real purpose of the Red Coast project, Top secret information that even many mid-level cadres at the base didn't know, she cut off her spiritual connection to the outside world and devoted herself to her work. Thereafter, she became even more deeply embedded in the technical core of Red Coast and began to take on more important research topics. Commissar Lei never forgot that it was Chief Yong who first trusted Ye, but Lei was happy to assign important topics to her. Given Yeh's status, she had no rights to the results of her research, and Lei, who had studied astrophysics, was a political officer who was also an intellectual, rare at the time. Thus, he could take credit for all of Yeh's research results and papers, and cast himself as an exemplary political officer with both technical acumen and revolutionary zeal. The Red Coast Project had initially requisitioned Yab because of a paper on an attempted mathematical model of the sun she had published in the Journal of Astrophysics as a graduate student. Compared to the Earth, the sun was a far simpler physical system, made almost entirely of hydrogen and helium. Though its physical processes were violent, they were relatively straightforward, only fusing hydrogen into helium. Thus, it was likely that a mathematical model of the sun could describe it rather precisely. The paper was basic, but Lay and Young saw in it a hope for a solution to a technical difficulty faced by the Red Coast Monitoring System. Solar outages, a common problem in satellite communications, had always plagued the Red Coast Monitoring Operations. When the Earth, an artificial satellite, and the sun are in a straight line, The line of sight from the ground-based antenna to the satellite will have the sun as its background. The sun is a giant source of electromagnetic radiation, and, as a result, satellite transmissions to the ground will be overwhelmed by interference from the solar radiation. This problem could not be completely solved, even in the 21st century. The interference that Red Coast had to deal with was similar, but the source of interference, the sun, was between the source of the transmission, outer space, and the ground-based receiver. Compared to communication satellites, the solar outages suffered by Red Coast were more frequent and more severe. Red Coast base as constructed was also much more modest than its original design, such that the transmission and monitoring systems shared the same antenna. This made the times available for monitoring even more precious, and solar outages even more of a problem. Lay and Yong's idea for eliminating interference was very simple. Ascertain the frequency spectrum and characteristics of solar radiation in the monitored range, and then filter it out digitally. Both of them were technical, and at that time, when the ignorant often led the knowledgeable, that was a rare bit of fortune, but Young wasn't a specialist in astrophysics, and Lay had taken the path of becoming a political officer, which prevented him from accruing in-depth technical know-how. In reality, electromagnetic radiation from the sun is only stable within the limited range from near-ultraviolet to mid-infrared, including visible light. In other ranges, the radiation is quite volatile and unpredictable. To set the right expectations, Yaa made it clear in her first research report that during periods of intense solar activity, sunspots, solar flares, coronal mass ejections, and so on, it was impossible to eliminate solar interference. Thus, her research target was limited to radiation within the frequency ranges monitored by Red Coast during periods of normal solar activity. Research conditions at the base weren't too bad, The library could obtain foreign language materials related to the topic, including timely European and American academic journals. In those years, this was no easy feat. Ya also could use the military phone line to connect to the two groups conducting solar science research within the Chinese Academy of Sciences and obtain their observation data by fax. After half a year of study, Ya saw no glimpse of hope. She quickly discovered that within the frequency ranges monitored by Red Coast, solar radiation fluctuated unpredictably. By analyzing large amounts of observed data, Yaa discovered a puzzling mystery. Sometimes, during one of the sudden fluctuations in solar radiation, the surface of the sun was calm. Since hundreds of thousands of kilometers of solar material would absorb any shortwave and microwave radiation originating from the core of the sun, the radiation must have come from activities on its surface. So there should have been observable surface activity when these fluctuations occurred. If there were no corresponding surface disturbances, what caused these sudden changes to the narrow frequency ranges? The more she thought about it, the more mysterious it seemed." Eventually, Ye ran out of ideas and decided to give up. In her last report, she conceded that she could not solve the problem. This shouldn't have been a big deal. The military had asked several groups within universities and the Chinese Academy of Sciences to research the same issue, and all of those efforts had failed. But Yang wanted to try one more time, relying on Ye's extraordinary talent. Lei's agenda was even simpler, he just wanted Yaz's paper. The research topic was highly theoretical and would show off his expertise and skill. Now that the chaos in society was finally subsiding, the demands on cadres were also changing. There was an acute need for men like him, politically mature and academically accomplished. Of course, he would have a bright future. As to whether the problem of interference from solar outages could be solved, he didn't really care but in the end, Yad didn't hand in her report. She thought that if the research project were terminated, the base library would stop receiving foreign language journals and other research materials, and she would no longer have access to such a rich trove of astrophysics references. So she nominally continued her research, while in reality, she focused on refining her mathematical model of the sun. One night, Yeah, was, as usual, the only person in the cold reading room of the base library. On the long table in front of her, a pile of documents and journals were spread open. After completing a set of tedious and cumbersome matrix calculations, she blew on her hands to warm them and picked up the latest issue of the Journal of Astrophysics to take a break. As she flipped through it, a brief note about Jupiter caught her attention. Last issue, In A New, Powerful Radiation Source Within the Solar System, Dr. Harry Peterson of Mount Wilson Observatory published a set of data accidentally obtained while observing Jupiter's precession on June 12th and July 2nd, during which strong electromagnetic radiation was detected, lasting 81 seconds and 76 seconds, respectively. The data included the frequency ranges of the radiation as well as other parameters. During the radio outbursts, Peterson also observed certain changes in the Great Red Spot. This discovery drew a lot of interest from planetary scientists. In this issue, G. McKenzie's article argues that it was a sign of fusion starting within Jupiter's core. In the next issue, we will publish Shinoe Kumoseki's article, which attributes the Jovian radio outbursts to a more complicated mechanism, the movements of internal metallic hydrogen plates— and gives a complete mathematical description. Yeah, clearly remembered the two dates noted in the paper. During those windows, the Red Coast Monitoring System had also received strong interference from solar outages. She checked the operations diary and confirmed her memory. The times were close, but the solar outages had occurred 16 minutes and 42 seconds after the arrival of the Jovian radio outbursts on Earth. "The sixteen minutes and forty two seconds are critical." Ya yeah, tried to calm her wild heartbeat and asked the librarian to contact the National Observatory to obtain the ephemeris of the earth's and Jupiter's positions during those two time periods. She drew a big triangle on the blackboard with the sun, the earth, and Jupiter at the vertices. She marked the distances along the three edges and wrote down the two arrival times next to the earth. From the distance between the earth and Jupiter it was easy to figure out the time it took for the radio outbursts to travel between the two. Then she calculated the time it would take the radio outbursts to go from Jupiter to the sun, and then from the sun to the earth. The difference between the two was exactly sixteen minutes and forty two seconds. Ya yeah, referred to her Solar Structure mathematical model and tried to find a theoretical explanation. Her eyes were drawn to her description of what she called energy mirrors within the solar radiation zone. Energy produced by reaction within the solar core is initially in the form of high-energy gamma rays. The radiation zone, the region of the sun's interior that surrounds the core, absorbs these high-energy photons and re-emits them at a slightly lower energy level. After a long period of successive absorption and re-emission, A photon might take a thousand years to leave the sun. Gamma rays become X-rays, extreme, ultraviolet, ultraviolet, then eventually turn into visible light and other forms of radiation. Such were the known facts about the sun. But Yaz's model led to a new result. As solar radiation dropped through these different frequencies on its way through the radiation zone, there were boundaries between the subzones for each type of radiation. As energy crossed each boundary, the radiation frequency stepped down a grade sharply. This was different from the traditional view that the radiation frequency lowered gradually as energy passed from the core outwards. Her calculations showed that these boundaries would reflect radiation coming from the lower frequency side, which was why she named the boundaries energy mirrors. Yaa had carefully studied these membrane-like boundary surfaces suspended in the high-energy plasma ocean of the sun and discovered them to be full of wonderful properties. One of the most incredible characteristics she named gain reflectivity However, the characteristic was so bizarre that it was hard to confirm, and even Ya herself didn't quite believe it was real. It seemed more likely an artifact of some error in the dizzying complex calculations. But now Ya made the first step in confirming her guess about the gain reflectivity of solar energy mirrors. The energy mirrors not only reflected radiation coming from the lower frequency side, but amplified it. All the mysterious sudden fluctuations within narrow frequency bands that she had observed were in fact the result of other radiation coming from space being amplified after reflecting off an energy mirror in the sun. That was why there were no observable disturbances on the surface of the sun. This time, after the Jovian radio outbursts reached the sun, they were re-emitted as if by a mirror after being amplified about a hundred million times. The Earth received both sets of emissions before and after the amplification, separated by 16 minutes and 42 seconds. The sun was an amplifier for radio waves. However, there was a question. The sun must be receiving electromagnetic radiation from space every second, including radio waves emitted by the Earth. Why were only some of the waves amplified? The answer was simple. In addition to the selectivity of the energy mirrors for frequencies they would reflect, the main reason was the shielding effect of the solar convection zone. The endlessly boiling convection zone situated outside the radiation zone was the outermost liquid layer of the sun. The radio waves coming from space must first penetrate the convection zone to reach the energy mirrors in the radiation zone, where they would be amplified and reflected back out. This meant that in order to reach the energy mirrors, the waves would have to be more powerful than a threshold value. The vast majority of Earth-based radio sources could not cross this threshold, but the Jovian radio outburst did. And Red Coast's maximum transmission power also exceeded the threshold. The problem with solar outages was not resolved, but another exciting possibility presented itself. Humans could use the sun as a super antenna and, through it, broadcast radio waves to the universe. The radio waves would be sent with the power of the sun, hundreds of millions of times greater than the total usable transmission power on Earth. Earth civilization had a way to transmit at the level of a Kardashev Type II civilization, The next step was to compare the waveforms of the two Jovian radio outbursts with the waveforms of the solar outages received by Red Coast. If they matched, then her guess would receive further confirmation. Yeah made a request to the base leadership to contact Harry Peterson and obtain the waveform records of the two Jovian radio outbursts. This was not easy. It was difficult to find the right communication channels, and numerous bureaucracies required layers of formal paperwork. Any error could lead to her being suspected of acting as a foreign spy. So, yeah, had to wait. But there was a more direct way to prove the hypothesis. Red Coast itself could transmit radio waves directly at the sun, at a power level exceeding the threshold value. Yeah, again, made a request to the base leadership. But she didn't dare to give her real reason. It was too fantastic, and she would have been turned down for certain. Instead, she explained that she wanted to do an experiment for her solar research. The Red Coast transmission system would be used as a solar exploration radar, whose echoes could be analyzed to obtain some information about solar radiation. Lei and Yong both had deep technical backgrounds and wouldn't have been easily fooled. But the experiment described by Yad did have real precedence in Western solar research. In fact, her suggestion was technically easier than the radar exploration of terrestrial planets already being conducted. Yeah, Wincia, you're getting out of line, said Commissar Leigh. Your research should be focused on theory. Do we really need to go to so much trouble? Ya begged. Commissar, it's possible that a big discovery will be made. Experiments are absolutely necessary. I just want to try it once, please. Chief Yang said, Commissar Lei, maybe we should try once. It doesn't seem to be too difficult operationally. Receiving the echoes after transmission would take- Ten, fifteen minutes, Lei said. Then- Red Coast has just enough time to switch from transmission mode to monitoring mode. Lay shook his head again. I know that it's technically and operationally feasible, but you, eh, Chief Young, you just lack the sensitivity for this kind of thing. You want to aim a super powerful radio beam at the red sun. Have you thought about the political symbolism of such an experiment? Yang and Ye were both utterly stunned. But they did not think Lei's objection ridiculous, just the opposite. They were horrified that they themselves had not thought of it. During those years, finding political symbolism in everything had reached absurd levels. The research reports Ye turned in had to be carefully reviewed by Lei so that even technical terms related to the sun could be reportedly revised to remove political risk. Terms like sunspots were forbidden. An experiment that sent a powerful radio transmission at the sun could of course be interpreted in a thousand positive ways, but a single negative interpretation would be enough to bring political disaster on everyone. Lay's reason for refusing to allow the experiment was truly unassailable. Yeah, didn't give up though. In fact, as long as she didn't take excessive risk, it wasn't difficult to accomplish her goal. The Red Coast transmitter was ultra-high-powered, but all of its components were domestically produced during the Cultural Revolution. As the quality of the components was not up to par, the fault rate was very high. After every 15th transmission, the entire system had to be overhauled, and after each overhaul, there would be a test transmission. Few people attended these tests, and the targets and other parameters were arbitrarily selected. One time when she was on duty, Yaa was assigned to work during one of the test transmissions after an overhaul. Because a test transmission omitted many operational steps, only Yaa and five others were present. Three of them were low-level operators who knew little about the principles behind the equipment. The remaining two were a technician and an engineer, both exhausted and not paying much attention after two days of overhaul work. Yeah first adjusted the test transmission power to exceed the threshold value for her gain-reflective solar energy mirror theory using the maximum power of the Red Coast transmission system. Then she set the frequency to the value most likely to be amplified by the energy mirror. And under the guise of testing the antenna's mechanical components, she aimed it at the setting sun in the west. The content of the transmission remained the same as usual. This was a clear afternoon in the autumn of 1971. Afterwards, Ya recalled the event many times, but couldn't remember any special feelings, except anxiety, a desire for the transmission to be completed quickly. First, she was afraid to be discovered by her colleagues, and even though she had thought of some excuses, it was still unusual to use maximum power for a test transmission, because doing so would wear down the components. In addition, the Red Coast transmission system's positioning equipment was never designed to be aimed at the sun. Yeah could feel the eyepiece growing hot. If it burned out, she would be in real trouble. As the sun set slowly in the west, yeah had to manually track it. The red coast antenna seemed like a giant sunflower at that moment, slowly turning to follow the descending sun. By the time the red light indicating transmission completion lit up, she was already soaked in sweat. She glanced around. The three operators at the control panel were shutting down the equipment piece by piece in accordance with the instructions in the operating manual. The engineer was drinking a glass of water in a corner of the control room, and the technician was asleep in his chair. No matter how historians and writers later tried to portray the scene, the reality at the time was completely prosaic. The transmission completed, Ya rushed out of the control room and dashed into Yang Weining's office. Catching her breath, she said, tell the base station to begin monitoring the 12,000 megahertz channel. What are we receiving? Chief Yang looked in surprise at, yeah, strands of hair stuck to her sweaty face. Compared to the highly sensitive Red Coast monitoring system, the conventional military-grade radio, normally used by the base for communicating with the outside, was only a toy. Maybe we'll get something. There's no time to change the Red Coast system to monitoring mode. Normally, warming up and switching over to the monitoring system required a little more than ten minutes, but right now the monitoring system was also being overhauled. Many modules had been taken apart and remained unassembled, rendering them inoperable in the short term. Yang stared at Ye for a few seconds, and then picked up the phone and ordered the communications office to follow Ye's direction. Given the low sensitivity of that radio, we can probably only receive signals from extraterrestrials on the moon. The signal comes from the sun, yeah said. Outside the window, the sun's edge was already approaching the mountains on the horizon, red as blood. You used Red Coast to send a signal to the sun? Young asked anxiously. yeah nodded. Don't tell anyone else. This must never happen again, never. Yang looked behind him to be sure there was no one at the door. Yeah, nodded again. What's the point? The echo wave must be extremely weak, far outside the sensitivity of a conventional radio. No, if my guess is right, we should get an extremely strong echo. It will be more powerful than I, I can hardly imagine. As long as the transmission power exceeds a certain threshold, the sun can amplify the signal a hundred millionfold. Yang looked at Ya strangely. Ya said nothing. They both waited in silence. Yang could clearly hear Ya's breath and heartbeat. He hadn't paid much attention to what she had said, but the feelings he had buried in his heart for many years resurfaced. He could only restrain himself, waiting. Twenty minutes later, Yang picked up the phone, called the communications office, and asked a few simple questions. He put the phone down. They received nothing. yeah let out a long-held breath and eventually nodded. That American astronomer responded, though. Yang took out a thick envelope covered with custom stamps and handed it to yeah She tore the envelope open and scanned Harry Peterson's letter. The letter said that he had not imagined that there would be colleagues in China studying planetary electromagnetism, and that he wished to collaborate and exchange more information in the future. He had also sent two stacks of paper, the complete record of the waveforms of the radio outbursts from Jupiter. They were clearly photocopied from the long signal recording tape and would have to be pieced together. Ya took the dozens of sheets of photocopier paper and started lining them up in two columns on the floor. Halfway through the effort, she gave up any hope. She was very familiar with the waveforms of the interference from the two solar outages. They didn't match these two. Ya slowly picked up the photocopies from the floor. Yang crouched down to help her. When he handed the stack of paper to this woman he loved with all his heart, he saw her smile. The smile was so sad that his heart trembled. What's wrong? He asked, not realizing that he had never spoken to her so softly. Nothing, I'm just waking up from a dream. Yaa smiled again. She took the stack of photocopies and the envelope and left the office. She went back to her room, picked up her lunchbox and went to the cafeteria. Only manteau buns and pickles were left, and the cafeteria workers told her impatiently that they were closing. So she had no choice but to carry her lunchbox outside and walk next to the lip of the cliff, where she sat down on the grass to chew the cold manteau. The sun had already set. The greater King'an Mountains were gray and indistinct, just like Yaz' life. In this gray life, a dream appeared especially colorful and bright. But one always awoke from a dream, just like the sun, which, though it would rise again, brought no fresh hope. In that moment, Ya saw the rest of her life suffused with an endless grayness. With tears in her eyes, she smiled again and continued to chew the cold manteau. Yaa didn't know that at that moment, The first cry that could be heard in space from civilization on Earth was already spreading out from the sun to the universe at the speed of light. A star-powered radio wave, like a majestic tide, had already crossed the orbit of Jupiter. Right then, at the frequency of 12,000 megahertz, the sun was the brightest star in the entire Milky Way. That's all for now. Thank you for listening. Make sure to follow this podcast to get the next episode. Or if you just can't wait, you can buy the audiobook of The Three Body Problem wherever books or audiobooks are sold.